A reading from the book of Job, chapter 38, verses 1 to 21. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that, that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Praise yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? And what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? For the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where you, pr pr where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place, that it, may it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What, what is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to the places? Do you know the paths to the dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thank you, Austin. If you can keep your Bibles open to chapter 38 of Job, uh, we're in our fourth of our fifth series. Um, but we're not just going to cover chapter 38, we're going to go to chapters 38 all the way to 41. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm sure it would help you as we go through it. But let me pray for us that God would speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words um, that were written so many years ago, but relevant um, in our life today. And Lord, we pray that you'll make these words living words um, that shape our minds and our hearts, and that we might respond to evil, or respond to the suffering in a way uh, that glorifies you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I distinctly remember the moment when my father became a human being uh, for me. I think this is almost a universal experience. We grow up thinking about our dads as supermans, uh, you know, people who know everything, who can do everything, who can fix everything. But I think I was around 16 when I saw my dad cry. And actually, it shattered my world because it was that moment when I realized, oh, my dad can't do everything, can't fix everything, knows everything. He's just a human being like me. Uh, Job chapters 38 to the rest of the book actually does the opposite of that, opposite of that, because we often think of God as just another human being, of course, a better human being, right? Like an old man who knows, who's wiser, who's better, um, who, who knows much better um, than us, but still a human being mostly like us. But for many, many of these chapters, God kept silent, and when he speaks, Job's world shatters. He realizes God is not like 
one of us. He is like us, but he is infinitely different from us as well. He realizes that God is holy. When the words of Revelation, holy, 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 in his suffering, what Job realizes is that he forgot who God was. He didn't quite realize who God was. He presumed that he could know better than God. But when God speaks, he makes himself known as God who is with knowledge, knowledge of everything that is going on in this world, who is in control of everything in this world, who is infinitely greater than we could ever have imagined. And although Job, God doesn't answer Job's questions, God says to Job, I have a plan for evil. I have a plan for suffering. I do have a plan. So Job comes to trust in God. Once again, we are in the fourth of five-week series through Job, and so far Job has been blameless. We saw how Job in chapters 1 and 2, just right after he lost everything, his wealth, his children, his reputation, his health, all his relationship, he gets down and he praises God. It was the most amazing thing. And we saw last week how Job came to believe in the resurrection, in God's justice. He had this firm belief in God's justice, and he knew that God would raise him up in the last day and make things right. And so far, it's been clear that the three friends uh, were wrong about Job, the diagnosis about Job, how maybe he had some hidden sin that he's being punished for. God himself makes it very clear that, no, 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 it's not because of Job's sin that he's being punished, that he's he's suffering like this. But it's not true that Job remains blameless throughout this book. In fact, uh, we don't have time to read it, but uh, Elihu, uh, from chapters 32 to 37, he speaks. And when he speaks, he's indignant about the way that Job speaks about God. He is, he can't, he's zealous for the Lord's name. And he says, Job, you can't speak to God, uh, about God in this way. You can't presume that you know better than God. You see, throughout this book of Job, uh, Job just wanted to see God. Job said, if I just saw God and pled my case, of course God would come to my aid. God would be on my side and make things right. You see, in that, in, in that, in saying that, what Job was presuming was that he knew better than God. He put himself in God's judgment seat and saying that God should rule the world as I would rule the world. He's probably thinking about verses like this in Job 23, 3 and 4. Oh, that I, would, I knew where my, I might find him. I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with argument. In that same chapter in verse 8, he goes on to say, but if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. He kind of accuses God of hiding from him. You see, Job implies once again that he would make a better judge, better God than God would, God does. And that, Elihu points out, is sin. It's pride. It's sin as old as Adam and Eve. Pastor Christopher, Christopher Ash um, says that human hearts are like container, this jar of container with uh, a mud at the bottom. 
when all is calm, the water is crystal clear. And you think the jar is clear. There's nothing wrong, impure about the jar. But when the jar starts shaking, when bad things happen, it gets all stirred up and you find out actually the actual condition of the jar. Human heart is like that too. And in Job's troubles, uh, it showed that actually he was a sinner. <laughs> he is proud. He put himself in the place of God and told himself that God should rule the world as he would. Um, and that was the sin of pride in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. If I were God. Remember, they wanted to be like God. They wanted to define what was right and wrong instead of submitting to God's definition of right and wrong, which is why they went and ate from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, wanting to decide things for themselves. And we all do this, don't we? Don't we all do this? If I were God, if I were God, how would you rule the world differently? If I were God, I sometimes tell myself, I would not have let my cousin commit suicide. 16, all his life in front of him. If I were God, well, I would not have let President X come in power and cause all these trouble. If I were God, I would not have let those children in Texas be killed by those gunmen. If I were God, how would you finish that sentence? If I were God. When God shows up, though, God reminds Job that he is not the kind of a person whose place that we can take. Where, where does God speak um, to Job from in verse 1 of chapter 38? From a storm. From this immense storm. Because God is transcendent. He's different from, he's above us. He's powerful. His very presence in some ways threatens who we are. And look what he says. Who is he that obscures my plans, uh, obscures my plans with words without knowledge? He's saying Job's words are said, uh, uh, are ignorant words. Words without knowledge. Words he would not say if he knew better. And they are dangerous words. If I were God, can we really be sure that we wouldn't mess up the world? The world is full of stories of unintended consequences, aren't there? There is also that, I, I, as I was thinking about this, I, I grew up in the 90s uh, thinking about Jurassic, I remember Jurassic Park. In Jurassic Park, the whole movie is about unintended consequences. You didn't mean it to happen this way. And in that, uh, in that book, it talks about chaos theory. Right? Uh, the theory that grew out of the attempt to try to, uh, um, try to make computer models of the weather systems in 1960s. It's also a theory that shows how complicated the world is, the weather system actually is. It also is the theory that coined the butterfly effect. Right? Which says that the weather conditions so complicated that a butterfly flapping its wing in Beijing could result in a storm in New York. Are we really sure? that we would make good choices for the world. To all of us who are so confident that we would run the world better than God, at least in this decision, in that decision, this is what God says. Who is he that obscures my plan? Uh, with words without knowledge, brace yourself like a man. I will question you. Are we ready to answer some of God's questions to us? But as we begin, let me also ask you this question. What are the things that you are most proud of making? What are the things that you've made that you're really, really proud of? 
We've had a church member who's created something uh, it's, that's pending in the, at the patent office. It's a non-stick encoding uh, that could be used in, in, in many, many different ways. Uh, Robert worked for Son and Guy for a long time. I'm sure he's built impressive things. But this is how God begins his question in verses 4 to 7. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Earth's foundations. Who marked off its dimensions? He adds in verse 7 that the whole creation, as he was making them, rejoiced. The angels, as they watched the creation unfold, they rejoiced in the goodness of the world. He made the earth. He made the universe, he says. He made the seas in verses 8 to 11. He set the limits, verses 12 to 15. He created the morning and the night. Depth of the sea is known to him. He went to the very depth, and he created also the gates of death and hell there. Uh, verses 16, uh, verses 19 through 21, order of lights and darkness, the weather system and water, the things that we find is so difficult to control. Water, rain, flood, ice, clouds, lightning, lightning bolts, rain, snow, all these things. Uh, he says he made, and he not only made, but he governs. I know size isn't everything, but I think in these uh, instances, I think it's helpful. Think about the size of God's building project. Think about the size of the solar system. I don't know if you've seen something like this, but look, this is the solar system, our solar system in scale. Here's the sun and here are the planets. Can you tell which one the Earth is? It's difficult. Because Earth is so small. Earth is so small in comparison to the sun. And there are 7.8 billion people, as of 2022, uh, who live here on Earth. 7.8, that's a lot of people. If you uh, allotted one second uh, and started counting 7.8 million, a billion, do you know how long it would take to count 7.8 billion? 247 years. <laughs> and God knows each one of us. He's created each one of us. He, cre he knows the number of your hair. He governs everything that goes on in your life. Are we really sure we can do better than God? The next section, verse 39, um, goes on to the next chapter. The, all of chapter 39 is also about God's creation of the animal world and how he sustains them, how he feeds them. He talks about lions and mountain goats, bears, wild donkey, wild ox, ostrich, horse, hawks, and eagles. And remember, these are wild animals, not domesticated ones. These are the ones that we can't even try to domesticate. But God says, I've created all of them, and they're under my control. And he feeds and cares for each one of them. In chapter 38, Verses 39 to 41, he pictures of this, these lions. He says, Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in a thicket? Who feeds these lions? God says, me. And you know, here he's also pointing to this delicate tension between predators and prey. Because he doesn't just care for the lions, he cares for the antelopes and zebras and other things in that world. Do you know how to manage all of that, maintain the right ratio of these things. Uh, Yellowstone National Park introduced, as you might know, wolves in 1995. 
there was, uh, it, it was overpopulated by deers, um, and it was um, uh, ruining the ecosystem. And they introduced these wolves in small numbers because they were native to that land before. And so they brought them back, and these changes were astonishing. These wolves killed uh, the deers that grazed the grassland. But not only that, um, they also changed the behaviors of the deers. They went away from the valleys and gorges um, where they could easily be trapped. And so these uh, the, 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 uh, desolate places became these uh, uh, lush forests. Um, and birds started to move in, beavers came in, creating new ecosystem, uh, amphibians and other animals. Wolves also killed uh, coyotes, which meant that more rabbits came and mice came, more hawks and weasels, badgers, foxes, ravens, and bald eagles. And the scientists uh, there credit these wolves changing the course of the rivers in Yellowstone uh, National Park. It, they changed the course of the rivers. That careful balance of the creation, creating that perfect condition for life to emerge and a life to thrive and flourish, God says, I did that. Job, can you do that? Friends, can you do that? We're often much better at ruining things that God has created, aren't we? Here's the thing. We, when, when bad things happen, we do ask the why questions. And we ought to. I mean, it's the natural thing. We ask these why questions. But my friend says in these chapters, what God is trying to do is change the questions from whys to who. Because even if God answered all these why questions, well, some we might understand, but some might actually be beyond us. But he's trying to ask the question, who created this world? Who maintains this world? Who rules over this world? Who preserves it? Who governs it now? Of course, it's the one who speaks from the storm. It's the one who created our very complex brains that allows us to think of these questions. It's he who governs the world. In some ways, God is saying the why questions will never end. As we live in this complicated world, we'll always have something where we're asking God, why did this happen, God? Why did it happen this way and not that way? Why are these things happening? Why? Why will always be there? But some of those things are not answerable, not, by, not to us. And God says, I made the world. I preserve the world. I love this world. Can you be content with that? And he's given in this section this enormous uh, display of his knowledge and power that he is trustworthy. But in these chapters, he also says something about the evils and sufferings in this world as well. He's hinted at it in, back in chapter 38 in our reading in verses 8 to 15. And he addresses this topic more directly in chapters 40 and 41. Once again, we won't get into in detail, but ch take a look at 38 verse 8. God describes how he shut uh, the, the sea behind the doors a, a, as it was created. Uh, in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, the sea, once again, was a place of chaos, evil, disorder, uh, danger. 
ultimately place of death, which is why the, the, the depth of the sea is where the gates of death, he, he pictures gates of death um, uh, uh, there. You see, Job, although... Job, in Job's situation, he feels like evil is out of control, uh, right? The suffering, it's come upon him. It seems completely out of control. But verse 10, God says, no, 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 the sea. I set the limits to it. I said to the crashing waves, you can come this far, but no further. God has, is in control over even the chaos of the, of, of the world, the evil in this world. And that's exactly what we see in chapters 1 and 2 of Job. Remember when Satan comes to the God's court? You know, he has a place in God's court, but he can't do whatever he wishes. He's not out of control. God says, you can do this much, but not any more than that. Thus far, but no more. And evil will be defeated. That's what's hinted at in verses 12 to 15, poetically. Verse 12 describes the coming of the dawn, the sun rising, but we see that it's not just about the physical thing, because in verse 14, he says, uh, uh, verse 15, uh, he says that, uh, sorry, uh, he says that the, the evil cannot just roam freely over this world again. It cannot just take over the world. The, yes, the night exists, but he says you know, the, the wicked are ta- dusted off as the uh, dawn comes. So this is a metaphor for the wickedness. Wicked world exists. Yes, they have a place in God's good world right now. But you see, God has set the limits to it. That's what he's saying in verse 15. Uh, the dawn comes to break the, the arms of the wicked ones. Every time the light switches on here on earth, it's supposed to remind us, actually, evil does not roam freely. That God has set a limit to it. It's supposed to remind us that God will defeat evil. They will not last forever. Chapters 40 and 41 are really about this as well. We're introduced to two, these two huge creatures, Behemoth in chapter 40 and Leviathan in chapter 41. And some people believe that these are just animals, uh, rhinoceros and crocodile. But it doesn't make sense of chapter 40 verse 8 where as these uh, creatures are introduced, God says this, Do you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? This has something to do with God's justice. So now many commentators now believe that this isn't just about a crocodile and rhinoceros, that behemoth symbolizes death. In chapter 41, the Leviathan, that symbolizes Satan. Actually, there's a lot more data on Leviathan because they make an appearance throughout the Old and the New Testament. Job 3.8, Isaiah 27.1, Psalm 74, Psalm 104. But here in Job, um, he's a fire-breathing monster, terrifying monster of the sea, the creature of the chaos and evil. And this is then, uh, most scholars believe, the same dragon that comes out from the sea in Revelation chapter 13. 13.1, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. It's a picture of Satan. That's out there causing chaos in the world. And look what God says, if you have your Bibles open, to chapter 41, verses 1 to 3. 
Can you pull in a Leviathan with the fish hook or tie down its tongue with the rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with the hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? God says, I can make a pet of it. You see, these are not out of control. God is in control over Satan, the wicked, the forces of wickedness and chaotic world. Friends, this is what this means in the end, and it's humbling and sobering. To Job, to a man who lost everything, his profession, wealth, uh, children, uh, his reputation, his health, God was saying to Job, I made no mistake in your life as I make no, make, make no mistake in anyone else's or in this world, everything that happens in this world is under my control. My counsel is perfect. It's, they're difficult words, but that is what God is saying. And these are difficult words that he would say the same to the parents who have just lost their, their children in Texas. Those parents, God would say, look, I know you love those children. I love them more than you can imagine. But this is not evil out of control. I am in control over this world. I get nothing wrong. My plan is perfect. You have to trust me. Of course, in those moments, we ask, but why, God? Why do these children need to die? Why do Job's children need to die in this, in this way? Why do evil things like this happen? Once again, God might be able to show the reason someday, but God might not. We might not be able to understand the complicated world that is beyond us. But who? But who we know? It's God who created and governs the world. It's God who has a plan for evil. It's God who became a human being in Jesus Christ. He knows what evil is. He knows what suffering is. He knows, God knows what it's like to lose a son. God knows what it's like to be betrayed. God knows death. But it's the same God who also rose again from the dead. God who has a plan to judge the, 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 the living and the dead, the wicked, and get rid of the evil in this world. In this world, whys, why questions will never end. Church, I hope you'll be able to look to the creation in those times. The beauty, the majesty of the creation. I hope you'll be able to see the dawn and the sun rising. I hope you'll be able to see the limits of the crashing waves. And I hope you'll remember the mangled head of our Savior Jesus, the nailed feet and hands. And I hope you look to Him and trust Him to run His world. Let's pray. Lord, we...
come to you in humility. Lord, just as Job was humbled by your presence, by you speaking from the storm, Lord, we pray that you would humble us. Help us to know who we are. Help us to know your greatness. Help us to know your holiness, your wisdom. Help us to know your love and have come to trust you. Lord, we, we know that this is easier said than done. And so, Lord, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would strengthen our faith in your goodness. Help us to see uh, you rightly, that we might live in this world rightly. We might respond to evil in this world rightly. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.